Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Fiona Harris, it is just so great to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jules. (laughs) It's my absolute pleasure. (laughs) I was just so thrilled to have you on the TV show last week and there was a million and one questions I wanted to know about your background and how you've got into what you're doing. So I thought podcast would be perfect. Yeah, that's great. Great. So I'm going to kick it off with like a nice meaty question, which is what do you do now amongst, uh, and I know there's a fair few bits, so tell us everything. What are you doing and why are you doing it? Oh, my Lord. Um, okay, so... Um, and, and then, hang on, and I'll just tell you, after this, I'm going to go back and ask you about your entrepreneurial journey since you left school. So this is just, what are wow. you doing right now? All right, I'm going to try and make it <laughs> as interesting and brief so it's not boring and people will be falling No, no, asleep. it won't be boring. I'll ask you questions if I, if I'm, if I don't know the answers. So just go cut for me it. off. Tell me all. I'm, cut me off if I'm rambling. Um, so I'm an actor. Well, primarily I started out as an actor and a writer. Those were always the two things that went hand in hand for me. And right. then, you know, in this country, because there's not uh, a lot of work as an actor, it's um, a very small pool of actors that get all the work. Um, so you have yeah. to diversify. So very early on, because I am someone who's always written and read a lot, and that was something I wanted to do. I started doing that quite early on and doing writing shows, plays that I would put on for, you know, no money, independent theatre. And then that was just a natural progression into writing um, TV. So I got my first... uh, (laughs) I love the way you make this sound all so easy. Oh, it's not easy. You know, I'm an actor and I decide to write and Um, then I got onto TV. No, I'm doing it. it, This is like the very brief, took lots of years, lots of hard work. But... um, so currently, I'll just start with currently. Currently, I'm a writer, an actor, a producer, um, an author. So uh, my husband and I have a production company called Kiss and Go Productions. Um, and mm-hmm. we made a series called The Drop-Off, which was a web series, comedy web series, um, which we put on Facebook. Um, and we've done two series of that. One series was funded by Screen Australia. And that's why we started Kiss and Go Productions, because we needed to make it official, because we we're making a proper show. Um, yeah, right. And, uh, so, Hang on a minute. Just wind back a tiny bit. Tell people what the drop-off is about. So the drop-off is uh, a very short-form comedy web series about four parents sitting in the schoolyard, observing what's going on around them and making all sorts of comments about it. Very, you know, sort of politically incorrect at times. A little bit wrong world. <laughs> um, but essentially, it's about a friendship. It's about these four parents who found each other accidentally in this very unique setting um, because you know at a school drop off when you you know you meet all sorts of different parents and they're you, you know you might yeah. cross paths with people that you never usually would in your normal work day or friend circle um, so yeah. the drop off is a, is celebrating that it's about accidental friendships um, and how they happen and then these four people sort of click and become friends and then it's about the goings on in the schoolyard at drop off time so the first series was very short because, you know, there's only, yeah. you usually at drop-off for maximum 15 minutes. Um, yeah. So the first series episodes were between three and five minute long. 
Um, and it was like little sketches, really, of just these parents sitting there and, and what very Seinfeldy in, you know, it's all about observational humour. And then, oh, great. And, and also three minutes is, is, even though it sounds probably very short to the people that might be listening, if you think that's like three of the longest ads on television yeah. back to back, it gives yeah. you an idea that you can actually get a lot done in three minutes. Yeah, exactly. And But it's also, we, we worked it out that it's the exact time that you could sort of make a cup of tea um, and watch <laughs> it on your phone um, ah, while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. Um, right. So that actually got really good traction online on Facebook and people really responded to it well, um, which was great. So we went for some funding yeah. with Screen Australia for a second series and our plan was for the second series to have a bit more meat on the bones. They were going to be longer. We were going to go into the characters more and do a bit more of a narrative arc and luckily we got it. We got the funding, which was fantastic. Um, and that was under Kiss and Go Productions. We applied for that. And that meant that the second series we made, we got to pay everyone properly and really get into the scripts to the nitty gritty of, you know, having a script consultant and really looking at the arcs and the characters' journeys. And this, the episodes were between seven and 11 minutes long. Um, wow. So significantly longer, really. Yeah, big leap. And, you know, that was yeah. great for us because we got to go into the world more, which we always wanted to do. And, you know, it, with the first series, we were so conscious of them having to be short that um, we, you know, you'd be chopping out gags and it was a bit heartbreaking as a writer to kill your darlings. Um, so is it all gone, though? Like would, one day would you do a revival of the, this is all the stuff from the cutting room floor? <laughs> well, a lot of that went in the book. <laughs> so, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. We'll get to the book in a minute. Yes. So, um, okay, so basically at the moment you've got this amazing series. Are there any famous faces in the, in your series that you yes, want to share with us? Yes, there are, Jules. So we have <laughs> the wonderful, talented, amazing Pia Miranda. She plays um, Wonderful. a very nasty mum um, in the second <laughs> series and she does it really well. Um, yeah. We loved having her Which on Which is board. hard to believe when you think of what a sweetheart she is. Yeah, see, she, she always have... plays the girl next door, the very sweet character. So She, she must have been dying married. to do something where she could be a villain. Oh, she loved it. She And because Pia <laughs> and I had spent a lot of time sitting around on set together because we were both working on Mustangs, which is an ABC3 kids show. And um, right. Pia and I spent three seasons on that show sitting gas bagging for hours on end every day. And she would tell me stories of, of a woman that she might have, you know, not giving away too much here, but someone may she or might may have not know. known, <laughs> uh, that she knew from her school days. And this yeah. woman that she used to tell me about was just hilarious. And so we kind of based, and, and Pia's impression of this woman was just, hilarious and so we basically went to her and said yeah we want you to play it like that um so she nailed it um yeah so we had Pia Miranda we had Georgina Naidu who people might remember from Sea Change and she does a lot of theatre now as well um we had the very talented Lyle Brooks who's an also an awesome theatre actor and Trudy Hellier who is a TV actor that people might know so we were very very lucky that these people said yes um, because it just made the series so much for us. It was just such an honour to be working with them, but also it was just so much fun to be. And, and we've also got Christy Whelan-Brown. She's been in it from day one, who a lot of people would know from Mad as Hell, The Wrong Girl. 
She does a lot of musical theatre. She's on Kinney at the moment. Um, and wow. Scott Edgar from Tripod, who a lot of people might know from Tripod, who I've known for years because we used to do Skit House <laughs> together. Um, so it's good. You're just sort of, you know, having a lot of fun with your mates while you're working. Well, I mean, the beautiful thing is that you took all the risk really by starting the series and putting it up on Facebook. And when you say, you know, it went down pretty well, how many people did you have or do you have in the Facebook group that love it? Well, now we're, as far as views go, we're up in the hundreds of thousands somewhere. Wow. um, Which is amazing. And um, the best part of, the best thing that for me personally that's come out of all of this is that um, we got an offer to write, to turn it into a novel. And because I am a massive book nerd and someone who's wanted to do that forever, that was a dream come true for me, um, to have the chance to to write a proper adult novel. Um, So, yeah, the drop-off lives on. So now it's in the form of a book and we got to take all those characters we knew so well and just really dig deep into their lives, their backstories, their families, their partners, their kids, all the things that you don't get to see in the series because it's so short. Um, yeah. And that was so much, that was very rewarding, very hard work um, writing a novel. It's not easy. Yes. Um, no. And we were, I was doing that in the midst of juggling about 10 other things because. <laughs> I was going to say, how long did it take you? Well, but... <laughs> all up, I started writing it in I think October 2018 and had to hand it in in July 2019 so it was you know that's that's not bad you know I mean people spend years writing books so yeah we weren't we weren't given the luxury of years um we had to churn it out so no but but I love I love what you did you know to get the series just started that you managed to get that many viewers so really there is almost no risk for Screen Australia funding it now because you know that you've got a big audience. It's yeah. just it's well, sort of what TV land does, isn't it? It's like prove to us everyone oh, wants to watch yeah. it and then we'll let you on TV. Yeah, exactly. Not a lot of risk going on there. Um, <laughs> but we were lucky enough that Channel 9 uh, came knocking last year and they oh. have licensed it. Um, so they have essentially taken... Well, they wanted to turn the 12 existing episodes into one telly movie. Uh, right. Which is a bit strange and took a while to get my head around. But I, one other thing I love to do is editing. So I've got all the proper software for editing and I make a lot of video content with our production company. Right. Um, yeah. So I set about putting together um, an edit of the how it was going to look as a telly movie, which was very challenging but also very rewarding in the end. And then we took it took my first cut off to a proper facility, post the Post Lounge, who are amazing, and they made yeah. it all pretty and shiny and did their funky things that they do. So um, it's going to be on Channel 9 at some stage? So it? it's going to be on Channel 9 next year, early next year. Um, wow. As a that's one amazing. Hour, it is. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I actually, you know, one little quirky fact people won't know about me is I've got about four TV shows I've tried to get up over time. In fact, you're probably somebody I should go and talk to about it. But um, I just, I know how hard it is to get the funny grey-haired men that run those TV stations (laughs) to take any risk or to even try and understand that there are mums out there that also watch TV yeah. that would like something other than a morning TV show. Yeah. It's just so hard. They don't it's get so it at all. It's so hard. It is so hard. And that that is exactly why 
um, my husband and I started our own business because we'd been for so many years, you know, writing pilot episodes, pitching it to networks, getting really close and, oh, we love it, we love it, and yes, we're going to green light this, and then nothing happens. And that is no. the most frustrating thing about this country. I won't I won't start getting too negative, Jules, but... Oh, you can, because well, it's really shitful. <laughs> well, it is. It's hard, and it's it's very... And that is why it was a They're really... just so formulaic. They yes. just want, you know, if it's worked overseas, we'll do it here. Yeah, exactly. If it's worked, obviously, now, because you guys took the risk online, then we'll do it. But, yes. I mean, I've actually spoken to people who have said Channel 9, I think it was Channel 9, actually, but they basically said, go and produce it all yourself, come yes. to us, yes. and if we like it, we'll only charge you a hundred grand to put mm-hmm. it on air. And it was like, are you out of your brains? <laughs> Yeah, look, the, it just makes it I have impossible. heard and been a part of so many stories like that over the years, and it is heartbreaking and it gets to a point where you're just so disillusioned with the industry. And that is why it was so freeing for Mike and I, my husband and I, to come up with the idea for this project and then say, let's just film it online. ourselves um, and put it out there and people can see it and you get an immediate reaction. You don't have to wait for the network to green light it. You don't have to wait for them to decide if they want to put it on at a certain time and what audience will watch if you put it online and this is the best thing about web series if you have an audience there and you know how to target them and you know how to market your projects they will come um that's right yeah that's right and i mean i i can see that with ticker because and and the beautiful thing i think is that the traditional television commercial stations are almost broken at this stage. And I am just waiting for more and more people to do like you've done, like Ticker's done, and go be buggered about getting licences, be buggered about being told what to say and who we've got to have on and who's going to present. We're just going to do what we think the audience wants and we'll show you that you were wrong. It's already happening. (laughs) Amongst all of our peers, this is, and we've been around for a long time, we're quite old, Um, there's... That is the sort of that's the sense that we're getting from a lot of people around us that where there's a lot of people who are so disillusioned with the networks and how it all works that they're just saying why would I bother why don't I just make yep. it myself and put it online um, and I think as as consumers we are more and more and thank thank you COVID for some of the things that you've done but one of them is has got us all online yeah and much more comfortable with watching things digitally and kind of exploring and going oh, wow, there's a whole world out there that we could watch TV shows on YouTube, we can watch TV shows on Facebook, and, you know, they're just as good as some of the, or better than the rubbish that we see on the commercial networks. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Another MasterChef, uh, you know, just this reality TV ever since Big Brother started, yeah. it's just got worse and worse and worse and they just do season after season of the same flipping thing with different people. Yeah, reality TV got actors. Is, is the new, like that is the, the priority. That seems to be the priority with the mainstream networks is that, you know, they will always make, spend so much money on a reality TV show, but the drama, the comedy... Anything that is, you know, original content that is made by creatives, that's down, so far down on the priority list. Um, and hence the fact that we don't really watch commercial TV and we all watch things on demand now because that's yeah, exactly. where we can get our drama and our comedy. Oh, look, I can't <laughs> so, remember okay, the now, last time I watched mainstream. I, we just watched no, the streaming we, services now. 
No, well, I, where I live in inner West Melbourne, we can't get a very good reception. So I think about oh, seven no. years ago, I stopped getting commercial TV. You could only get it through Foxtel. And I went, you know what? I don't love it that much. And I don't think other than the Olympics, I think the last Olympics, I was like, where can I watch that live? But yeah. now you'd be able to. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's go. So let's go back to your career. So you've come up with this amazing show called The Drop Off. You've done a book now, which has just been launched. Why, 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 why did you decide to do the primary school thing? Um, well, that was our world at the time and um, we were very entrenched in it. And I think as a writer, I've, we've always reflected our world and, and what we know. It's that old adage of write what you know. Um, yep. And so with all of our projects, whether they were comedy festival shows or theatre shows or, um, you know, when we were working on TV shows, brought in as story consultants, it was always... I, we always felt the most comfortable and I've always felt the most comfortable with what I know. Um, yep. And Makes so literally, I think it was after an experience with a network again, where we'd gotten really close and then it had all fallen away. And I was feeling quite, you know, upset about that and just fishing at literally at drop off one morning um, thinking, right. And it's that thing of, it, it takes something, it, you know, when you talk about, um, what you learn in life through your career. For me, it's always been the bad stuff and the failures that I learn the most from. Um, yeah, I was I was mentioning that to someone the other day and I said, tell us about your successes and failures and what you've learned. And then I thought, people don't really ever learn anything from their successes no. other than it feels nice. <laughs> exactly. What you learn is when th things don't necessarily yeah. go to plan. Absolutely. So the, the learning for me has always come from that. And as an actor and a writer, you get a, you know, there's a lot of rejection. Um, yeah. And so this was you know, another one of those experiences where I just thought, oh, God, do I just have, have I had enough? I'm over this. Um, and then I thought, no, I'm going to, you know, take this what's just happened and try and turn it into a positive. So if the networks won't have a bar of us, let's just make something ourselves. But what can we make that's cheap and that's not going to you know, be something that we can't actually do. And that's when I was sitting at drop-off and thought, oh, uh, there's a the whole... school might lend us the grounds. Yeah, well, <laughs> The parents a... will probably act for free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also it's so rich in material, a playground, a schoolyard with parents yeah. because there's so many different And it also characters. is something most... And most people can relate to it one way yeah. or another. Even if they don't have children, they've gone with a friend to a drop-off or... Or they you know, were a kid themselves. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So we, I was sitting there and I just emailed Mike. Uh, the subject heading said um, show idea and then in the body of the email I just wrote school drop off. And he, when I got home, said he just said, "I that's brilliant. I can so see that. So I just he said, said that's the reason I married you. Yep. <laughs> You've come he up said, with the good you. ideas. It's finally paid off. <laughs> um, so... We just said about, you know, coming up with these characters. We knew we didn't want it to be a big cast. We knew we had to keep it small because that's all we could afford. Um, and so initially it was just three parents um, and we knew we wanted Christy because she was a, Mike had worked with her on a few different things and we loved her. And then we needed a, a just a fourth parent and he was only ever meant to be a very small part in that first episode. And then, of course, Scott Edgar being the wonderful, hilarious performer that he is we thought we can't do without him um so <laughs> as the series grew and we made more he just became the, the fourth main cast member um right. and yeah but that pilot that we made which was 
I think four minutes long. Um, we literally shot that in five hours on a Sunday at my lo- at our primary school. Um, and no one got paid. Using proper cameras or are you using oh, yeah. iPhones? No, no, we had a, we had a, we had a, we have all those contacts because we've been in the industry for a while. So there were right. a lot of favours, yeah. but we insisted on paying the camera ma- the director and the camera guy. Um, but none of us got paid as actors, and we just, you know, brought mum made some sandwiches. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was all just done on a shoestring, as you do in our industry. Um, and then the second, the, when that got a lot of traction online, that pilot, and then Princess Pictures came on board um, and they gave us money to make the next five, which was wonderful of them. Um, and that's when we met Paul Walton. He was kind of the champion of it. He was the, um, the head at Princess at the time. And right. he has stayed with the project since then. He's now got his own production company called 720 Creative. Um, and he was the EP on the second series and... We're, we're working on him with another project at the moment, which is the Billy B. Brown books um, being adapted into a TV series. Um, so this is what, you know, as, as a, production, a very small production company, you have those relationships with people that you want to foster and keep growing and, and working with these people because you get along so well and you work so well together. And Paul Walton is, is someone like that, that. One of those. Yeah. And, and, and so when, when you did that first shoot the, for the pilot, did you kind of look at each other and go, this is magic, like we have definitely hit the nail on the head? Because I do think that sometimes in those instances, I mean, not that you maybe knew that it would be as big as it is, but that you just go, this was the right decision, this is great. Yeah. Did you see that sort of magic straight away? To be honest, on the day, we were just having so much fun with Christy and Scott (laughs) that at the time I just thought, oh, this is fun and, you know, we'll put it out and if people like it, they like it. But at that point I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking of that because we were just having such a ball hanging out and saying these lines and making each other laugh that I just, it it was one of those warm and fuzzy experiences where you just go, you know what, if nothing ever happens from this, I don't actually care because we're just having a ball today. Oh, Um, you're so gorgeous. So when was the moment that you went, wow, we think we might have a a hit on our hands? Well, it was when... It was when, because um, I think I, we went into the edit and put it on my, I just put it on my Vimeo and it yep. was, it was, it wasn't private, but I knew no one was going to find it because no one was looking at my Vimeo unless I sent them something. <laughs> and then I think it was around Christmas because we filmed it in October and the edit was done by, you know, beginning of December and every year it's become a tradition. We're going into our seventh year. My family, we instead of sending out Christmas cards, we make a very silly Christmas family video. And okay. so that year, and I always have it on my Vimeo account and that's how I send it out to our family and friends. And so we'd made our Christmas video and I sent out the link, not realising that then people could look at other things on my Vimeo. And so one well, yeah, I wonder if it's like if it's like on Facebook when you see one movie on YouTube and then up comes the next one yes, and up comes the next one. That's Maybe. what happened. So it just started, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so one of the mums from school who was a friend who got the Christmas video saw the little drop off pilot and watched it and said, This is hilarious and posted it on social media. <laughs> and Great. I saw it or someone started sending me text messages saying oh someone's put this on it's hilarious and I looked and went oh my god it's not ready 
because it hadn't had its proper sound done or anything. And so I quickly rang this mum and said, oh, I'm so sorry, can you take, take that down? down? And so and she, she went took too it late. down and said, no, she oh. took it down, but she said, that's brilliant. That is absolutely hilarious. Why don't you put that up? And so it was actually thanks to her, thank you, Fiona Quayle, um, who was the first person that made me think, oh, maybe there's something in this. It's not just a fun thing for us that we love hanging out with our friends and having a ball doing it. People are actually going to respond to it like she did. And that was the first time I thought, oh, there might be something in this. Um, and so that's when we did it properly, did all the sounds and everything and put it out to get a feel of how it was responded to. And it went really well. It was just that it was yeah, actually um, just a teaser initially. It was like a 30 second teaser. Amazing. I just think it's I think it's amazing. And I first heard of it around Christmas because my brother and his wife live um, around the corner, well, somewhere near you, yes, I know. Yes, they do. And their kids go to Ripponley Primary. <clears throat> my brother started going, oh, my God, you've got to watch this and send it to everyone in our family. So Yes, well, your um, brother uh, is actually Pia Miranda's husband in the second ooh, series. So he for plays... anybody who wa- who's watching. Yes, yeah, so he, Chris Jeffers is uh, Pia Miranda's husband. <laughs> he's, he's also cast as a not very nice person in the series. Um, but Chris and Kylie have been champions of the drop-off from day one and they've been extras in every episode, as have their children. Um, so that's the thing. It's, it's because of people like that in our community and our friends that the show is what it is because there is so much heart in it. And that's something that Mike and I really want in all of our projects. It's about heart. It's about the comedy, but heart has to be in there. And that definitely comes through with the drop-off and that's because of our amazing community and everyone who helped us out. I'll just say very quickly, it's it's something that if you if someone's coming to you saying, how do I get a show on TV? It's, it's a long journey towards that. Like it's a lot of years of hard work and experience in our case anyway. So for me, I always wanted to be an actor and a writer. I knew that from a very young age, but I grew up in Altona North uh, in a time when the arts weren't particularly um, you know, respected or understood like it is maybe now. Um, it was all about... No, and Altona North wasn't the trendy-ish oh, place it is now no, either. No, no. So, uh, so that's a challenging place to have come from if, you, if we're talking 20, 30 years yeah, ago. Yes, so I was considered very strange because, you know, all around me, everyone was obsessed with sport. That was pretty much all that was important <laughs> back then. Uh, very working class yep. area. But anyone who wanted to do what I wanted to do was considered a bit strange. Um, but I was always reading. I always had a book in my hand. I was always putting on shows, dragging the neighbour's kids into it, whether they wanted to or not. I was that weird child who was always wanting to put on shows, write shows. I was a bit annoying. Um, and then, but yeah, there was very little understanding going on from anyone around me of what this weird thing was that I wanted to do. Um, and when I finished high school, I always had a plan that I'd finish high school and start doing acting classes. Um, and I did that. And then I went and lived overseas for, I started work full time, but I was doing acting classes at night. And then I saved enough money to go and live in New York for a year when I was 23, um, which everyone again thought I was insane. And I was a bit because I had really no money. Um, so I went and lived in New York for a year, did more acting classes over there and just learnt so much and, and then went and lived in London for a year and did more stuff over there. So after two years overseas, I kind of came back with this 
renewed motivation and, and determination to and to skills make, yeah to try and, and skills make as well so just just as an aside because I, I have to ask this because I'm obsessed with celebrities and things do you have is there anyone out of the London or New York years that has gone on to huge success that's a friend of yours no <laughs> Oh, okay. Just thought not I'd ask. No, <laughs> Last time I asked that, someone said, oh, yeah, Jude Law was a really good mate. And I was like, are you kidding? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, look, when I was living, when I was in New York, I was at, doing acting classes at the um, Academy of Dramatic Art, like part-time classes. And I was living in an all-girls boarding house, like Stage Door, the Catherine Hepburn movie, which I love. Um, and I was living the <laughs> right. dream. Like, I was literally living my yeah. dream. Um, but... For me, it was just about breaking away from the mentality I had before I left here, which was that you'll never, you can't do that. That's not a real job. Um, when are you going to, you know, realise that you have to do something else? Be a and that you're not special, you know. You, why yeah. do you have to be different to everyone else? Yeah. Go and get a job at McDonald's or whatever is required. Exactly. <laughs> there was a lot of negativity around me when I left here from, right. you know, family and friends of just going, come on, Fiona, give it up. That's never going to happen. You can't make a career out of that. So going over there was really good for me because it got me out of that environment and into a headspace where there were like-minded people around me everywhere I went who were saying, yeah, of course you can do this. This is great. This is what you want to do. You should do it. Um, So I came home with that mentality. So I needed to get away and kind of surround myself with like-minded people to come back with that renewed outlook. Um, And so as soon as I got back, I just made a... A promise to myself that I would do three things every single day to do with achieving my goals and being someone who was acting and or writing for the rest of my life. And I stuck to that. Um, And they could be as simple as you have to read a play or you have to make one phone call to an agent or you have to write one short story. Um, But I had to do three things. Oh, you're so good to be doing that for yourself. That's brilliant. Well, I had to because I, I knew I really wanted to do this. I was very passionate about it, but I had no idea how to do it, how to achieve it. Um, and all the while I was doing amateur theatre shows, I never stopped doing that. I did lots of those. That's where I met my husband in one of those. Um, and then it got to a point where I teamed up with two very good friends who had the same goals as me. Um, yep. And we started writing sketches together. We made a plan that we were going to write we're going to get together three times a week, every single week, and write a bunch of sketches and take them to the ABC um, and right. try and get our own sketch comedy show. Um, and it took, you know, two years of doing that, meeting up three times a week and writing sketches. Oh, and, gosh. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Long journey. You've really, you've really <laughs> got to have a lot of resilience skills, oh, really, if yes. you're going to get be, into your industry. Yeah. And that was the other the other sort of little mantra I had to myself all the time was the three P's, which was positivity, persistence and patience. And I had that stuck up on my wall. Um, And those were my three P's that I had to look at every day. So two years after doing that, we took it to the ABC and lo and behold, after another maybe six months of back and forth, we got a sketch comedy show on the ABC with um, Stephen Curry and his two brothers and some other guys. And that was right. called Flipside. Um, and it got buried at 10.30 on a Saturday night, as the ABCs want to do. Um, uh. But luckily, you know, people saw it and, and it was brilliant. You know, it was my first foray into professional writing and, and performing. So I was in absolute heaven. Um, yeah. And I just 
And on you know, before rage, so maybe you catch some people before that starts as well, yes. I guess. So, you know, we get the, and there's always the comedy nerds. The comedy nerds will find everything, it doesn't matter what <laughs> time it's on. <laughs> and so we got a really good response from the comedy nerds and the people who stayed up, who were watching TV at 10.30 on a Saturday night. Um, right. And, the, and Rove McManus was one of the people who saw it, thank God, and he got me into audition for Skid House, which was a sketch comedy show for Channel 10, um, and I got the job. And then I did three series of that, and that was writing and performing. But I was learning the whole time, all through these sketch comedy years. So I had five years. I did Flipside, Skid House, and then Comedy Inc. And all through those five years of doing sketch comedy, the one thing I learned above all else coming out of that was I do not want to write sketch comedy. Um, <laughs> so that was a great Been learning there, done experience. that and ticked that one off the list. Yep, that was one that I was like, I've done it. I didn't enjoy it. I will never do it again. Um, loved Until. performing. I loved, I loved performing. I loved the people. I had a ball, but I found writing short gags like that, like anything like stand-up comedy or anything to do with short, you know, short one-liners or gags punchlines that's just not my forte so I don't like it um yeah and so when I came out of those five years I did I was resolved to writing more longer form stuff which is when I started writing comedy festival shows or one hour shows that were one woman shows um and since and then that led to meeting people that got me into story rooms on tv shows and that's the kind of thing where you're paid kind of a pittance to sit in yeah. a room with TV people and take notes. You're basically the note taker, um, but you learn a oh, lot. Oh, really? Because I thought that that, that that to me sounds like 30 Rock, the room where they all sit around and come oh, up with gags yeah, and no, get no. them. When you're it's, the story, it's not like that. No, not when you start out. When you start out in the story right. room, you're, you're, the way you get into a story room is as a note taker. Um, and right. that's your main <laughs> thing, your main job is to take notes and listen. Um, and if you're a good listener, oh right. So do the, the 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 other people are coming up with gags and speaking to each other, and then they've got note takers that are taking down yep. the content to be able to rep. Is that how it works? I didn't yeah. know that. And then if you're lucky right. enough, and if you do listen well and you take good notes, um, you get promoted to a story consultant, which is what happened with me. So next thing I'm on TV shows as a story consultant, which means you can speak, <laughs> and that means right. And other get... people are taking your the notes. Yeah. You're someone else is the note taker and you've been promoted and now you're one of the people in the room who's contributing and coming up with ideas. And um, So, again, long journey, but, you know, that's another couple of years of being a story consultant um, and Amazing. contributing in rooms and learning how it works and talking to people. And then, of course, you start pitching your own shows. And, of course, the irony is my very first job ever in this industry was my own shows that I pitched and got on air, which is amazing. Oh, my God. Because it's never, ever happened again. (laughs) It probably hasn't happened to very many people, let's be honest, but that's amazing. So did you, were you earmarked as an actor? Could you do like um, Sylvester Stallone did with Rocky and say, if you want this, you have to take me as well? No, but that's the thing. With Flipside, our very first show, we were, it was us that were hired. We'd come up with the idea for the show. We wrote the show. We were in the show. And that has never happened to me since. 
So that's right. what I just find hilarious about this industry. I've either been hired as an actor for a show that I've had nothing to do with the creation or writing of, or I've been hired as a story consultant or a writer for a show that I won't be in. So it's bizarre. very weird that my first job was that. That's bizarre. But um, but that's the way it goes, and that's that's the nature of this industry. You just, you know, you can luck out and, you know, be on your way with your first show and that's what you do forever or like me you have a very all over the place kind of journey where you do many different roles and but the best part is that you look back and go well I'm glad that happened because if that hadn't happened this wouldn't have happened and it all kind of works out in the end it all matches up in the end with what you want if that makes sense no oh no (laughs) (laughs) To be continued. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores, so Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'sthebossscomau and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 